on Wednesday nights, we're going to do things a little bit differently as far as the sermon. I, I want to, to uh, basically do two things. And the, the first off, I am just, I'm going to keep saying it because I want, I want you to, to grab hold of it. God is moving at the lighthouse. And uh, I don't know how long you've been in church. I don't know what your idea of, of good church is. I don't know what you go home and say, man, that was awesome. But can I tell you, I like the shout and I like the excitement and I like the worship. But at the end of the day, the most important thing for a church is that it is growing and that it is making disciples and that it is investing its own time and resources into this world. And, and I believe we need to take that commission, uh, the, the great commission, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Even though it uses that word preach, it does not mean that the commission of the church is fulfilled, uh, if you will, behind the pulpit. There's no way that could happen. The commission of the church happens when you and I go out into our communities and we preach the gospel. And it's not that you got to get a sermon. It's not that you got to find a, a soapbox to stand on and pound some sort of a pulpit. It's the testimony that God has saved you and he wants to do the same for them. And uh, so in all of this, we, we've got new babes in Christ. We've got hungry hearts and hungry souls that are coming in. And, and I believe, in fact, I'm, uh, it, it is consuming me if I could... If I could uh, kind of, I'm not trying to say this in a bragging manner, but at General Conference, Brother Gleason was preaching. And, and Brother Gleason, and, and I'm hoping at some point we'll be able to play his message because it was uh, life-changing. And he has a book that he wrote that goes along with that message. And, but but he, he made the comment on, on a missionary, Brother Cantrell, who I believe is in Africa. And he made this comment. He says, he made a mistake by taking Brother Contrell to Africa just on a, you know, a trip. You know, maybe one of those, you know, preaching trips. Brother Gleason was going, hey, why don't you come with me? And this is what he said. I made a mistake by taking Brother Contrell to Africa because Africa got inside of Brother Contrell. And when he said that, I, I just felt, a, 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 a quickening, and I would I would like to say that that nine years ago, uh, my wife and I, and my family, we came to O'Fallon, and nine and a half years later, I would tell you that O'Fallon has gotten in me. Uh, there are moments that that I can just drive through, and I, I say O'Fallon, but obviously it it overlaps to the communities surrounding. But I drive, and I feel that unction and that presence of God. I feel that connection to say, "This is the harvest field." And um, I I want to take for the next little bit on Wednesday nights, and there may be a break here and there. But I want to do two things. Number one, I want to teach a Bible study to all of us that come. It's called Exploring God's Word. I, uh, it, it has been written for a long time, this Bible study. It's a 12-week Bible study, uh, if you will. And it, it's incredible. We're going to put some graphics on the screen. That uh, How many of you have ever taught a Bible study with one of those big flip charts, those spiral-bound flip charts, all right? Well, we're in the... Um, we're, we're in the you know, 2017s, and so we're going to put it on the screen behind me. However, I will tell you that 
they haven't updated the graphics. So the graphics would be a little uh, old school back in the, I don't know if it's written in the 70s or the, or the 80s, but it's a little old school. But here's what I have found. There is an absolute necessity to understand the Word of God. And, and I, this is not a political statement. But we have seen the devastation and the horror that happened there in Las Vegas with this, uh, I'm going to call it what it is, whether or not ISIS or anybody will ever find a link, it is an act of terrorism because it terrorized communities, it terrorized things. And you had a man, no one can figure out, at least right now, you know, you, you read the news, you watch the news, no one can figure out why, no one can figure out how. And, and that really bothers people because people want to know exactly why. Because then we can say, oh, it's because he had converted to to this, or he was part of ISIS, or oh, he, he was part of this group, or oh, he had a mental illness. But can I just tell you today that this is going to be the norm until God comes back. It is not a mental health issue. It is not a race issue. It is not a terrorism issue. All of those may play in. It is a sin issue. And and. When, when we go through exploring God's word, it is a very easy Bible study to teach. We, I wanted to have something to hand out, but we had some printer issues today, and I spent about three hours on tech support trying to get my computer back talking where I could open stuff up. And so we'll have to wait till next week. But when you get it, uh, I hope before the end of it, all at least every family, if not most people, will have their own copy of exploring God's word to teach and, and in doing so, you're going to find, you're going to say, well, man, Brother Buford, you kind of just read word for word a lot of it. Absolutely. Because that's how easy it is to teach. But it's also necessary. And so uh, I want to do two things. I want to teach all of us exploring God's word as, a, as a, a type of discipleship. I think it would do all of us good to just have a refresher course in, in how the Bible fits together and how some prophecies fit together. But then also, I want you to grab hold of it and see, and, and, and my desire is not just that you get some Bible knowledge, but you walk out of here going, hey, I can teach that too. I can teach that too. And so uh, we're going to do one. I can probably go through it fairly quickly, this first lesson, uh, because the, 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 when it starts the beginning of the, of the Old Testament, it gives us just a little bit of, of kind of history, and uh, then we'll get into something that's very deep. And it's something that absolutely applies to where we are today. And so uh, first off, I'd like to just uh, direct your attention, and I'll try to uh, tell you when to flip the screen, Brother Andy. How many of you went to school when they used to have the, the books that were on those microfiche and, 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 and you would have to they'd go beep and that maybe I'll just beep and that's your cue to uh, go to the next um, uh, thing. But uh, when you go to this slide, there are time periods. Okay, I'm sorry, keep going one more. Beep. All right, here we go. I, I don't know, I mean, I don't know if you can read it all, but... Um, there is a, a common understanding that the Old Testament is divided up into four time periods. And it spans thousands of years. We may never completely know exactly how many years it spans because we don't know how many years Adam and Eve were in the garden before the fall because time really starts to be measured after the fall of them. But it spans that and so in order to understand some of these major events, it would do us well to break up the new or the Old Testament, rather, the Old Testament 
into four time periods. The first one is the time or the age of innocence. The second is the age of conscience. The third is the age of the patriarchs. And the fourth is the law and the prophets. The first time period is that of innocence. It extends from creation to the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And again, we don't know how long this time period took. But it is the time in which man and God existed in perfect harmony. It's what God has intended from, from, from the very beginning. And, and unfortunately, man and sin and Satan messed it up. But it was that time of innocence. From there, we get the time of conscience. Conscience is from the fall and them getting kicked out of the garden unto uh, Abraham. And it is during this time that man uh, still, because of the time period and, 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 and the world is, is growing, and they, they, they are still connected to that conscience of God. And they, they are, uh, you don't necessarily have a lot of preaching being done. You don't have a lot of, uh, of organized religion, if you will. But God is still reaching and touching and this conscience that God has given mankind is in existence. And then the time of the patriarch. You find where God begins to uh, focus more. It's not just the world in general, but now he is focusing. And he starts with Abraham. And you have one family, Abraham. And he follows, for, for the most part, he follows the, the Bible follows that family of Abraham all the way to Moses and that is what we call the patriarchs. And then the fourth is the law and the prophets. This is where uh, the, the worship to, to Almighty God becomes uh, very focused. It becomes that there now is some law. There is some, some how you do it because man is, is just not capable of existing without a blueprint. And so you have this. And so our first lesson we're going to talk about today from the time of creation to that, that fall and judgment there in mankind. First off, if you have your Bibles or, or if you don't, just I'll read it. You don't, we're not going to put it on the screen. If you'll go to the next slide, it is up there in the very uh, kind of top corner. But 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 says this, For prophecy came not in the old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. If you are going to reach anybody, if you're going to teach any Bible study, if you're going to affect any life, this is where it starts. This is the only thing that matters. This is not a collection of religious writings. This is not a collection of men's thoughts. This is not even a biography written by man. This is an autobiography written by God himself through the pen of men. It doesn't say that man uh, it doesn't mean that men just woke up and said, I want to write something today. No, they were moved on. They were breathed on. They were inspired. God spoke to them. And in doing so, God directed them and we have His Word. And so because of that, this is not the words of men. This is the Word of God. 
the, the Lord told Moses, he said, You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of your Lord your God, which I command thee. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2. A similar uh, thing is found in the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 30 says, Add not thou unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And then, not only that, as you get to the close of the Bible, you find in Revelation twenty-two nineteen says this, And if any man shall take away the words from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. You say, Pastor, why is that important? Let me tell you why it's important. You can drive down the road, you can drive down the street, and you will find any flavor of church you want to find. And many of them claim to use the Word of God. But it doesn't take long in, a, in just a simple study of the Word of God to realize that there is much taking away and there's much adding to going on in our uh, communities and churches today. And it's important that we only preach His Word. I read, I read of a story today, in fact, and, and it had nothing to do with me even preparing for this lesson. But there's a church, it's a charismatic church of some flavor, but there's a, a church in California that teaches that if you want an anointing on your life, if you want to be able to preach, you need to go lay across the grave of some elder that had a preaching ministry, and by osmosis that grave will, will infuse you with power and you'll be able to preach like they preached. And they get it from the guy being thrown into Elisha's uh, grave and, and, and he touched the bones of Elisha, or, or rather Elisha, uh, or, you know, he touched the bones of Elisha, it was a dead man thrown in Elisha's grave and he hit those bones of Elisha and he came back to life. And they've taken that one story and they've made this whacked out doctrine. It's important to stay in the word. And when you're teaching a Bible study, it's not a debate. It's what God's word says. It's what God's Word says. And so that's, the, that's what makes it so easy to teach is because if you teach His Word, you're going to always be right. See, God didn't just give His Word to humanity. He said, I'm going to preserve this Word forever. Which is why it is the only thing, it, it just astounds me, the, the Bible. I realize that there are, there are many translations of the Bible. I understand that it's written in many languages. But that is the beauty of the Bible, is that from, from the time that it began to be written on papyrus scrolls and on, on leather scrolls and finally onto linen cloth and then to paper, is that you can go back however many years you want to you go and it's never lost its power. Name another book. Name another uh, uh, religion. Name another thought that is able to survive the onslaught of history and you will find that everything will fade except God's word. Bible says, Psalms chapter 12, The word of the Lord is pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times, and thou shalt keep them, O Lord, and thou shalt preserve them from this generation for. Ever. In fact, let me just tell you about how much God desires His Word to stay pure. It says also uh, in Luke chapter 16, 
it says that it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one tittle of the law to fail. A tittle is a, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know Hebrew, but a tittle is a mark. Much like a T has a cross member or an I has a dot over the I. It's something very small, something seemingly insignificant. But God says that's how important this word is. That even if you dot an I wrong or you cross a T wrong, it, it, it's not going to happen because heaven and earth will pass away before one little thing in my word fails. And it is so important. It's so important. The, the, there's an easy way. This was just something for you. There's an easy way to remember how many books are in the Old Testament. Uh, the word old has three letters. And the word testament has nine letters. And if you put those two together, you get three and nine, which is 39. And that's how many books are in the Old Testament. Look at your neighbor and say, that's cool. There you go. You're never going to forget that. Old has three, Testament has nine, put them together, 39, that's how many books are in the Bible, or, or I'm sorry, in the Old Testament part. In the Old Testament, uh, it was written by about 32 men, 32 different authors uh, that, that began to pen the Old Testament as the Spirit moved upon them. It spans at least, and again, it, it may be more, but it spans at least 3,600 years. And it required about 1,500 years to complete. You can divide those books up into four sections. Uh, in the first section is the law, and that is five books. Uh, then you have the history, that is 12 books. And then you have poetry, that is five books. And then prophecy is 17 books. And of those prophecies, the first five are usually called the major prophets, and the last 12 are called the minor prophets. And all of them have a purpose, and we're going to get into that uh, in just a little bit. Um, but let's talk about creation, and I hope you have your Bible. You could turn with me if you wanted to, because I, I, I think it would do you good. In fact, it would do you good to always bring your Bible to church, but especially in this, because I hope that you would find something that you could write down uh, in your Bible and note that when you get to teaching this or when you're studying it, that note jumps out at you. It's going to be very important for you to, uh, the Bible says, to study His Word. Study to show yourself approved. To spend time rightly dividing the Word. But the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved or hovered over the face of the waters. I forgot to tell you, beep, Brother uh, uh, Andy. So beep, there you go. That first day of creation, God spoke into a voidless, chaotic realm. And he said, let there be light. And God divided light from the darkness and he called the light day and he called the darkness night. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. And at that point, there still was not a lot of, of, of definition to what was going on. There was light and there was dark, but that was about it. But on the second day, God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. God called the firmament heaven. That's what we call the sky. It's not walls of jasper and pearly gates, but it's the sky. And the firmament divided the waters under those that were under it and those that were above. Well, I'll never understand this, 
uh, in, in our understanding, but there seemed to be some form of water above the sky because when you get to uh, the flood, you find that there was a lot of water that fell, much more than just a storm. But he said, I want there to be a sky that divides the firmament of waters, the waters from under the sky and the waters above the sky. On the third day, God said, let the waters under heaven be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And he called that dry land earth. And he called the gathered waters the sea. And on that same day, God looks there, and I don't know what that dirt, what that, that earth looked like, if it was just dirt or uh, uh, you know, how it was. But he then said, let the earth bring forth grass. Let it bring forth the herb yielding seed. Let it bring forth the fruit tree yielding fruit out of its own kind. Genesis chapter 1 verse 11. And so that third day of creation we saw land appear. We saw waters having a definition. You had oceans and seas and rivers and ponds. You saw grass and herbs and trees. But God wasn't done. On the next day, the fourth day, God, if you will, and maybe I can just kind of use my imagination, he steps to the precipice of, uh, of where he is there and he says, let there be light. In the firmament of the heavens, firmament means the sky, to divide the day from the night and let him be for signs and for season and for days and years and let him be for lights in the firmament of sky to give light on the earth. And on this day, God made the sun and the moon and the stars and he divided the light from darkness to mark days and seasons and years with their signs. So you have to understand on the first day he made light and darkness, but it wasn't until the fourth day that he made the sun, the moon, and the stars. We will never be able to put God in a box. You're never going to say, I know exactly how he did it. I've got a whole list of questions in my mind that, that hopefully in the eternity that I spend in heaven, I can just kind of ask him about some of these things. But when you look up in that sky at night and you see those constellations, when you get up early in the morning and you watch the sun peek over the horizon, or if you stay up a little and you watch that sun sink below, that's what God did with just his voice. On the fifth day, God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that have life. That fowl can fly above the earth in the heavens. And by his spoken word, God created everything that was there in the oceans. He created the blue whale. He created the, the salmon. He created the sharks and the octopus. Everything, every living creature that moves in the water as well as all of the birds that fly. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That fifth day, God created fish birds or aquatic animals and birds the sixth day rolls around the sixth day God said let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind cattle after their kind everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind Genesis chapter 1 verse 24 and then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth over every creeping thing that creepeth among the earth now at this point, let me just tell you, at this point someone's going to ask you, well why did God say let us create man in our image if God is one? And the only way that you can answer that is simply that, that you can't, God, we, we think in terms that are very concrete. We, we think in terms of, of I, you, and thou, and some things just don't translate real well out of it. If you ever listen to uh, Queen Elizabeth speak, she will speak, but she uses what is called the, the majestic plurality. Because the office of the queen 
is far greater than just what, what, what she as a human can have. And so she will speak in the plural. It happens here. God is not saying there's multiple gods because later on in the word of God you find it very clear. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, one throne, one name. But it is this understanding that it is greater. He, he is bigger than you can ever imagine. We're going to make man. And so he created man in his own image. He made them both male and female. God looked at male and female and he said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living creature that moveth upon the earth. Because behold, I have given you ever, every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree. And it's the tree of, or, or, which is the fruit of the tree that yields seed. For you it shall be meat to every beast of the field, to every fowl of the air, to everything that creepeth upon the earth. Wherein there is life, I have given you every green herb for meat. Humanity becomes the only part of God's creation that he gives dominion to. Man was to subdue the earth. Man was to rule the earth. Created in the image of God. And it was supposed to be perfect. On that seventh day, if you will, God rests. Creation is complete. He looks over, and several times he's said this, but he looks over and he says, it is Perfection was there. The second chapter of the Bible opens up and it, and, and it seems like it's saying the same thing. And it is. It's a restatement of God's creation. It gives a few more specific details. The first kind of gave you a blow by blow. First day, second day. But now it tells you that not only did God create the earth and not only did, did, did trees and water and plant appeared, but that God got very hands-on, if you will. And he planted a garden eastward in Eden, a beautiful place, what we would call paradise. And he put man there. Everything that man needed was contained in that garden. It was pleasant for the sight. It was good for food. There was a river in there. And in that paradise, God put Adam and Eve, and he told Adam, he said, I want you to keep the garden. I want you to dress the garden. This is yours. But in that garden, there were two trees. In fact, I, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Genesis chapter 2. I want you to look around uh, uh, verse 16. Well, actually, j- jump back to verse 9 uh, in, in chapter 2. And this is, this is God planting the garden. Out of the ground, the Lord, and again, I'm reading English Standard Version. Out of the ground of the Lord... God made to spring up every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so you have these two trees that are listed. One is the tree of life. One is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord had other commandments that, that he gave Adam and Eve, even though it was a perfect, even though it was this, that they could live together. There was uh, commandments. He was not left of his own free will, God told him, I need you to keep the garden. I need you to, to, to maintain the garden. You're the groundskeeper, if you will. And he said, God, God also said this, he said, Out of every tree of the garden thou may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day 
that thou eatest, thereof thou shalt surely die. In the day that you eat of that tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you shall surely die. Now, I'm just going to just help you out. That tree of life that you see, there's another place that that tree of life comes back. It comes back in heaven. You, 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 you begin to read about heaven and the walls of Jasper and all that, and you're going to find that that tree of life is there in heaven. And, and this is how I describe it. The tree of life is what allowed Adam and Eve, they, they were created in perfect unity with God. They were created in perfect harmony with God, and they were created to live forever in that place. And as long as they would eat of that tree of life, they would have had life eternal, if you will. They were commanded to eat of that, but not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that they did, they would surely die. And the reason is, they were living in a state of innocence. They were living in a state of perfection. And the day that they ate of that tree, their conscience would be awakened. And their, 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 their temptations would be awakened. And they would find that it would be a bad place. The Lord created Adam before Eve later on. And I'm so very thankful he said this. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. He said, I will make a help meet for him. Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 18. The words help meet is translated for, from a Hebrew word that means aid. It doesn't mean that the wife is a servant to the husband. It means that the wife, uh, 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 she, she completes the husband. She does things that, that he would never be able to do. He caused Adam to fall asleep. Took one of Adam's ribs from him. And he made the woman out of that. And contrary to what some people think, we still have the same amount of ribs as the ladies. Don't let anybody tell you that we're missing a rib. That goes around Facebook every once in a while, that men have one less rib. No, it's not true. Because when God creates, he doesn't destroy. He didn't take a rib out and leave you one rib less. When God creates, he can, he can take it and he'll still be there. And he brought that woman to Adam and... Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. They called her name Eve. And in their innocence, Adam and Eve were both unashamed. And, and, and I know that in today's polite society, it doesn't quite make sense to us, but the Bible is very clear that they were naked and unashamed. The reason is, is because there was no such thing as lust and there was no such thing as, as all of the emotions and feelings and, and the sin that exists now. Have you ever wondered why God put that tree that they weren't supposed to eat of in the garden? Wow, y'all are awesome. Because every time I've taught this Bible study, that's the number one question people ask. Why, if they weren't supposed to eat of that tree, why did God put it in the garden? Why did God let them fail? Why is that so important? And the reason is this, and you need to catch hold of this. This is very important. It's because God didn't want a puppet and God didn't want a robot. God wanted man to, to have a will. God wanted man to have the power of a choice. Revelation says God's promises are for whosoever will. Living for God is not a dictatorship. You've got to choose to live for God. And so God did not want to have a relationship with someone that had no choice in the matter. He wanted someone that would desire to be with Him. 
See, that's the difference between the animals and mankind. Mankind has a choice. Animals don't. Mankind has the choice to consciously do good or evil. And so, because of that, God set before man the ability to choose right and live or choose wrong and die. What does Romans say? The wages of sin is death. Now, I this is in the Bible study, and so I'm going to... Uh, I, I have tried to find out and, and do a little bit more research on this, my own self, and, and I'm still doing that. But uh, it's been told me most of us understand or know who, or at least have a, a knowledge of who John Calvin is. John Calvin was the creator of the Presbyterian Church. And uh, at the age of 27, he wrote an incredible book that is still used today in a lot of theological studies. But what you may not know is that he had another brother named Charles. Charles lived just a horrid life, a drunkard in, in, in immorality. And so you have one preacher and you have one drunk alcoholic that you know nothing of. You can't even hardly find mention of Charles in any historical books, at least a quick, you know, trying to find something quick, you can't find it. What's the difference? They were raised in the same home. They had the same mom and dad, so you can't blame genetics. They were raised in the same environment. They were raised in the same education. I'll tell you what the difference is. The power of choice. It's why you can be in a family and somebody live for God and somebody not live for God. It's why you can have somebody that doesn't live for God make a decision to live for God. And someone that lives for God make a decision to not live for God. It's the power of the choice. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, we find this horrible thing that happened. In fact, I, I, I really want you to, to turn there. And, and this is where, I'm just going to be honest, this is where if you look in my notebook, and I've had this notebook uh, ever since I became pastor. This is the notebook that I, pre, I teach my Bible studies out of. And so you can find where I've, where I've made notes. And if you start looking, you're going to find this page is written to pieces. I've written stuff all over it. This is the most important part of that first lesson. If you look in, in chapter 3, Bible says the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God hath made. One of the first mistakes I believe that Eve did is that she was hanging around a forbidden tree. Now, it was not wrong for her to hang around that forbidden tree. She was not going to go to hell, if you will, for hanging around that forbidden tree. In fact, there was nothing in, if you will let me use God's word, and, and there was nothing in the Bible that said you can't hang around there. But see, Romans chapter 13 says this, Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now I might not, Brother Harpole, I know you've probably taught this many a times in your, in your tenure as pastor and minister, and I might not be able to go into this with, with, on, a, on a Bible study, but since I have you here, can I just tell you, this is why there's some things that are not spelled out in black and white in the Bible that your pastor or your parents say, maybe it's a good thing you ought not go there or do that or be there. Now, Zane, you and I had a conversation the other day. I'm not going to say what it is, but you had a conversation the other day. You, know, you wanted to do something, and I was telling you we ought not do that. This is why right here. Because sometimes just being near something that's forbidden, even though you're not doing it yet, 
It puts you in a place where the devil, the Bible says Satan, crafty, subtle, weasels his way in and comes in. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4.27 says, neither give place to the devil. And I will tell you right now that most of the temptations in our life can be avoided if we'll avoid the place that those temptations are. And so, Eve is there by the tree. Maybe she had been by the tree a million times and nothing had ever happened. But on that day, Satan, very subtle, waits for that perfect moment to interject himself into her life. And, and he knew, he understood what was happening. And he said, the only way I can mess this up is to get them to sin. And so I want you to notice in Genesis, I want you to notice what he says in the first, or in the, in the, uh, in the second part of, or, or the first, sorry, the first verse. I want you to notice what he says. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat of every tree in the garden? Did God really say you couldn't eat of all the trees? Now there's something powerful in that, and that is this. He began to question God's word. He wasn't denying it, he wasn't trying, but he, he was just wanting to interject doubt into uh, Eve's life. And so at the very beginning, and it's happened from the very beginning of time, and it's still happening today, the first thing Satan wants to do is he wants to get you thinking, is God's word really say what it says? This is a powerful thought. It's a powerful understanding. Did he say? So let's, let's look at them side by side. God said, this is what God said. Genesis chapter 2 verse 16 and 17. This is what God said. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. I want you to look at your neighbor and say God only had one no. Look at your other neighbor and say, God only had one no. Why is this so important? Because too many people say, I don't like God. All God tells me, all church is, is just what I can't do. If you've raised teenagers, you've heard that. You've probably said it your own life. I'm sick of the church. I'm sick of the word of God. I'm sick of religion because it just tells me what I can't do. No. The negatives are very small compared to the positives. God said you can eat of every tree. I don't know how many trees there are in the garden. Let's say there are a thousand of them. You can eat of a thousand trees. Go eat your heart's content. Just stay away from one. But this is what Satan said. Did God say you can't eat of every tree of the garden? Some may say, oh, it's just a play on words. Some may say it's a matter of semantics. But I'm going to tell you that when you start thinking like that, you're in a dangerous place. You need to read God's word for what it says, not for how you think it says. And so because of that, God speaking from a positive viewpoint. But Satan hones in on that one negative thing. Because he found that was the key to Adam and Eve's fall. I'm going to stick a screwdriver in that one negative statement and I'm going to start twisting it and I'm going to start doing it. 
Satan loves to sound a lot like the Word of God. That's why you've got churches all around here. That's why you've got preachers all around here. That's why you've got people that, 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 that it sounds good. But if you'll really turn on your spiritual ears, and if you'll compare what they're saying to what God's Word says, you'll find there is a major difference. But not only did, did, did Satan know how to kind of get that Word he found out very quickly that Eve did not know God's word. Because let's, let's watch what Eve says. Eve, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Okay, that's right. She was right. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. Okay, she's doing good so far. God said you shall not eat of it. Everybody say that's exactly what God said. And, and then it says, thou, thou, uh, uh, but then she goes on, she, so she was right. God hath said, you shall not eat of the garden, uh, uh, shall not eat of the tree, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Look at your neighbor and says, that's not in the word. And so because of that, Satan, his ears perked up. And Satan goes, uh-huh, she don't know God's word. And if you don't know God's word then you don't know what's right and wrong. It's why you can get to people and, and, and they can start quoting all sorts of, of things that sound spiritual, may even sound biblical. But if they're not in there, remember you can't add to the Bible, you can't take away from the Bible. And so Satan knew she had him, had her. See, Eve didn't know the Word of God. I don't know why. I don't know if Adam didn't do his, his due diligence. The Bible indicates later that Adam was standing right beside her the whole time. I don't know why Adam didn't say, hey, that's not what God said. We'll never know those things. In fact, when you get to uh, Jesus' own uh, temptations in Matthew chapter 4, and, and I preached on this a little bit ago, but, but Jesus answered every temptation of Satan with this. The Word of God says this. It is written. Because if you will find the Bible, you can resist temptation. It's real simple. The Word of God says this. And so, Satan interpreted God's Word wrong. Eve didn't know God's Word. And now something else happened. The second attack is that Satan attacked God's motives. Now that she doesn't know what God's word really says, he can contradict the word of God. And this is what he says. You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing what is good and evil. And now Satan has not just attacked the weakness of her in the word. Now she's attacking the ego and her pride. And now she says, oh, well, God must not love me because if God really loved me, he would let me know these things. And, and why would God keep this from me? And why would God want me to, to do this? Why? Why? And I see it today. Why would God want me not to do that? Why would he keep that from me? The things that God keeps you from is not so that you're in bondage or are God's just ignorant. He's keeping you from them because they're deadly. 
And the next step, Eve followed that physical desire and she reached for the tree. She saw that the tree was good for food, sight and taste. She saw that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. That appealed to her pride. And she ate the fruit. And in doing so, she passed it to Adam. And Adam ate the fruit. And sin came. Eve was deceived. Adam was not. He knew exactly what he was doing. You can read that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. But here's what we find out. Let, let's connect it, and I'm, I'm hastening to a close. Let's connect it together. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, By one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. And death came by sin, and so death was passed upon all men. Romans chapter 5 verse 14. And death reigned from Adam to Moses. By one man, Adam's offense, death reigned. Romans 5.17. Romans 5.18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, that's Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Romans 5.19. For as by one man, Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's why David said later in, in, in Psalms 51, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Sin entered into humanity. They were naked. Their eyes were open. They saw that they were naked. And now they tried to cover their shame. Why was it shame? There was only two people in all of the world. And they weren't married for practical purposes. I mean, why all of a sudden shame? Because sin takes what God intends for good and he makes it evil. Sin corrupts everything that it touches. And the age of innocence was over. God came walking in the cool of the day. And, and I get this understanding that God walked a lot. You know, that there was this relationship, this communion, and they could hear the voice of God. But in their shame, they hid from His presence among the trees of the garden. Because sin had broken their relationship. The Lord cries, where are you? Adam says, oh, I heard your voice, but I was afraid. I was naked and I hid myself. God says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And this, again, just is perfect for humanity. At this juncture, Adam looks at his own sin. Adam looks at his own fault. And what does he do? Well, it was the woman you gave me, God that caused me to do this. Sin not only causes you to feel the guilt and the shame, but sin also wants you to blame everybody else but yourself. But all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why repentance. Now, now did you catch that? We're in the first, we're in Genesis chapter 3. And we're already talking about repentance. Because as you go through this Bible study, you're going to find repentance, water baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost in every lesson somewhere. Why is repentance so important? Because you cannot blame your sin on anybody else. 
You can't blame it on your mom and dad. You can't blame it on the way you were raised. You can't blame it on your mental issues. You can't blame it on your relationships. At the end of the day, when you stand in judgment, you're not going to stand with your family. You're not going to stand with your friends. You're going to stand all by yourself. But Adam and Eve tried to push the blame off. It didn't work. God knew what he was doing. And God said this, what have you done, Eve? And Eve said the same thing. Well, it was the serpent's fault. He tricked me. I remember I was, unfortunately, I can't say I was a kid. I was a teenager. My mama caught me in a sin. And, and I was serious. She goes, what are you doing? I literally said the devil made me do it. It don't change. It doesn't get any different. That's why I refuse to say alcoholism is a disease. Because in doing so, you blame something else. It may have symptoms of a disease, but it boils down to, I have sinned, and I've come short of the glory of God. And whenever there is a sin, there is a judgment. The result of the disobedience of man came in the form of four curses. Number one, God cursed. This is the, the, the first judgment uh, uh, slide, Brother Andy. The first is the curse on the devil. God said unto him, Because you've done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shall thou go, and dust shall thou eat all the days of thy life. There was a curse put on them. There was a curse on the woman. The second, God said to the woman, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. As a result of Eve's sin, the entire female population of the human race faces sorrow. Even the blessing and the beautifulness of childbirth is wrapped in pain and travail. The third was the curse on the land. God said to Adam, Because thou hast hearkened unto thy wife, and you eat of the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. How many of you planted a garden and the weeds grow faster than the tomatoes? In this, you can blame Adam. But now man's going to have to work no paradise anymore, no perfection. And the fourth curse was on man. Adam, God said, by the sweat of thy face, face shall you eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. From that point on, mankind faces struggle. Our lives come by exertion, by effort. Our lives now have a a expiration date, if you will. It's pointed to man wants to die. So God created you out of the dust. One day, unless he comes back before, one day you'll go back into the dust. But, but, in the midst of the curses, in the midst of, of, of this breaking of the relationship of God and man, in the midst of sin as bad as it could ever be, there is a promise. 
I hope you feel what I feel right now. Those tears that want to just pour out of my face to realize that in the midst of sin, at the very beginning, thousands of years before the cross, thousands of years, Brother Bob, before they sacrifice an animal, God said, I will not leave you comfortless. Oh, yeah, you made them, you, you, you have messed up big time. You have sinned, and, and i got to punish you. There's curses, but in that, there is a promise for the Lord. I can just see it in my mind. The Lord points his finger at the devil, and he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and, and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That is a promise. You need to write this down in your Bible so you know. You never forget it. It is a promise that one day there will be an ultimate triumph of the Messiah. God, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ over Satan. From the very beginning, even though Satan won a battle, Satan's fate was sealed. In that, he said, you may have, you, you may have bruised the heel. You may have put a hurting on humanity. But one day, there's going to be one that comes out of this lady right here, Eve. It's going to be a lot of generations down the road. But one day, she's going to give birth to a son that's going to smash your head and ultimately win. And that state of innocence for Adam and Eve ended with God giving them a promise. Because they were promised that, that God's going to win. But they're still standing there naked and ashamed. And so God reached down and an animal had to die. And he took skin, the Bible says, pelts, fur. He took skin and he clothed them in their, their, their nakedness. Remember, they had tried to sew fig leaves together. By the time God comes around, their fig leaves are all wrinkled and shriveled and not doing any good because our righteousness is as filthy rags. We can't cover ourselves. We can't atone for ourselves. But what you see right here, and this is one of the biggest keys you can do, is that from the very first sin, look at your neighbor and say the very first sin, God said something innocent would have to die. Now, I'm going to, this is not in these notes. But when I was in Bible college, Brother, Brother Little is an incredible theologian, man of God. He says that when you look that up in the, in, the, in, the, in the ancient languages, in the Hebrew and stuff like that, the understanding is not that God gave them, Brother Bob, some nice tanned leather jackets. Okay? But if you ever hear Brother Little's preach about it, Brother Little's will say that, that God literally reached down and ripped the hide off of an animal. And he put it on Adam and Eve and it was still bloody and it was still warm. He didn't take all the time to hide it because he wanted to get a point. Sin equals death. And that follows through the Bible. It's the crimson thread that goes throughout the Bible. Sin requires something innocent to die in order to cover the sin. And so it was that by showing that shedding of blood... He was making a provision to reverse the consequences of their sin. What does the Bible say? For without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. 
And so God put Adam and Eve out of the garden. An angel came with the, with the sword. I want you to stand with me. God sent at, at there at the east when he kicked them out of the garden. God placed some cherubim, some angelic creatures. They had a sword. It turned all the directions. And here's the reason why. It took them, God did not want them coming back into that garden because in that garden was the tree of life. And God did not want Adam and Eve to live forever in their sin. And so God said, you don't have access to this until (laughs) there is a day when death will be finally defeated and sin will be defeated and I will call you home. And there, right next to the crystal sea and the river of life, will be that tree you can partake and from that day since every human being has been born in a sinful state we've been born spiritually dead and facing eternal death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and if you'll start teaching this you may not have the music behind you but you'll have the same spirit you feel right here And it's a perfect place to look over the table, over the coffee cup, wherever it might be, and say, I feel his presence. Why don't we pray? Would you do that? Father, I thank you. Lord, I love your word. The simplicity of your word. The beauty of your word. To realize that in Genesis, we've only gone through three chapters. But in Genesis, we see your grace and we see your mercy. We also see the effects of sin. And Lord, it just puts something in me. I, I want your mercy. I want your grace. I pray that you would help everyone under the sound of my voice right now. Lord, there are some decisions.